0: Everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Uh, today is the 16th episode of the podcast, and the first one I've done in about a week and a half. There's six games to break down, and joining me is Managing Editor for Silver7Sends. Uh, Nate, uh, we have a really good chat today. I think you guys will really enjoy this one. Um, we talk about all kinds of stuff, from uh, Stutzel's play to the blue line. Uh, You know, what we expect going forward, the goaltending, all that kind of stuff. So I hope everyone enjoys. I think you guys will. If you're liking the podcast, you know, give it a like, give it a share. It means a lot to me. Uh, really helps the podcast out. Or, you know, simply give me a follow on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff or uh, the the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. My personal account hit over a thousand followers the other day, which was just absolutely insane. Um, so thank you everyone for the continued support. As always, you can find my writing at LastWordOnHockey.com and MileHighHockey.com if you're interested in my Colorado Avalanche stuff. Um, so I hope everyone enjoys the episode today. Um, if there's anyone you want to hear in the future, as always, I'm always open to uh, ideas and, and anything like that. So please let me know. Uh, the next The next podcast should be coming out probably in a week or so. Again, you know, after after the uh, stretch of Toronto Maple Leaf games, I think will probably be the most likely destination for Ottawa here. Um, So, yeah, thank you everyone for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Joining me now, he is the managing editor for Silver 7 Cents. Nate, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going, man?
1: Not too bad. I feel like every time I have these conversations, it's always qualification. It's like pretty good in the context of the pandemic. Um, Yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, only so good things can be, right?
1: Exactly. No, no, I'm about as good as it could possibly be. So thanks for having me aboard. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited to talk. Uh, as I was talking to you before we started recording here, it's this has been the longest, I think, all season I've gone without recording, about a week and a half, and we got we got a ton of storylines to talk about, you know, uh, six games, four against Edmonton, two against Montreal here, and we'll start with the first two that uh, we're reaching back a little bit to sun, Sunday, January 31st, and Tuesday, February 2nd, where the Ottawa Senators were finishing their Western road trip, and uh, it finished just about the same way it started, an absolute disaster. Uh, they lose 8-5 to the Edmonton Oilers on Sunday, and then 4-2 on Tuesday, and uh, uh, that seemed to be about the tipping point. You know, at least on somewhere like Sense Twitter, the, the Sense fell to uh, 1-8-1 and on the season, which included losing nine in a row, uh, most of them in regulation, obviously. Um, you know, it's... I'm trying to just go back and think of some of those games, but um, my takeaway from those games was just how much that I think Ottawa had to grow. Because if you looked at just the, the stat sheet, obviously eight, five doesn't look good, but if, if you dive into the advanced numbers a little bit, you might go, okay, this isn't too bad. You know, the first, the, the eight, five laws, Ottawa controlled a lot of play at five on five. Um, and then, you know, it was pretty even in the four, two loss too. But um, part of me kind of thinks that score effects in those games were just so aggressive because uh, it looked just like McDavid and will just shut themselves off for about half the games there. You know.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I had a really watching the eight five game was funny because at five on five the sends actually were pretty okay. Um, I mean, it felt like the Oilers was were, were, were scoring on every shot they took. That was the game where uh, they scored was it like ten seconds in off the first faceoff in the in the send zone. Um, and then obviously the penalty kill was just a total mess. Um, the Oilers just, Even when they weren't scoring, we're kind of moving the puck with, you know, with abandon. Um, that was the first game that uh, zoo played, if I recall properly. Um, so zoo showed up that game and he looked pretty decent. Um, but you're right. They were trailing so much of the game and they were so far behind that it just, it just kind of seem like they were able to shut it down. I'm sure we'll talk about this as we go kind of through the episode. But one of the things about the Sens' kind of overall shot metrics is that they are a little bit skewed by the fact that they trail in virtually every game that they play. Um, so just looking at like a raw shot share looking at a raw XGS share is a little bit misleading. Um, this game, it's one. It was one of those games where it's kind of hard to, in my opinion, anyways, to like get a read on anything like. When you go down so bad and there's so many aspects of you know, your penalty kill, but also your defensive zone coverage that are just totally broken. It's really hard to say, you know, what is, what is like, what is a specific thing that you could focus on? That was just like, I think you, you said it well. It really felt like that was really plumbing the depths right there. That was about as, as low and as bad as it's been for the census year. even though, you know, you look back at the, at the shot differentials and you're like, Oh, it wasn't that bad. You know, they trailed the whole game. Uh They were a, a mess on the penalty kill. It really, it really did not feel good. That was, that was a game that, that felt like pretty bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm just looking at like I'm going through the highlights right now to just kind of. Put it back in my mind, and like it was five three after one, which is just an mm-hmm. insane stat line. And then thirty seconds later, Edmonton comes down in the second period and scores to make it six three. And and from there, you know, it didn't matter what Ottawa did; it just didn't feel like they were climbing back into the game. So, um, yeah, you make a great point, especially with those ad- adjusted numbers. I was looking at it right before we hopped on here, and um, right now in the entire season, Ottawa sits uh, if you don't score adjust they sit 16th in Corsi four percentage. However, when you score adjust, they fall down to 24th, which is like one of the biggest gaps I've ever seen for score adjusting. Um, you know, it's a relatively small sample size, but still like it's over almost 15 games for most teams now. And that is really, I think the best way to describe this team is, um, yes, some of it's better than just being absolutely killed all the time in, in, um, score or sorry in scoring chances and stuff like that but at the same time you know you can't really take and look at a game that you were trailing for four or 48 to 54 minutes of it and say well they controlled 53 percent of the scoring chances so that's good because in reality we just know how the league works you know when a team has a lead they they tend to sit back on it more often than not but um yeah you know i think um if we we're talking about just pluses overall sub has been and i think we'll get in this too uh, he's looked good really good in all six games you know um, the second game they play against Edmonton, uh, people are just kind of fatigued as they're done. They lose four two again. It definitely felt more like they were more into it that game, but it was also one of those things where it was just like, it It felt like they weren't really ever going to take the lead. You know, like once Edmonton got the lead, it was just one of those things where I don't know if they, they just lack scoring scoring all year. You know, they, they lack a little scoring talent like McDavid and dry obviously. And it just kind of felt like they were in a hole and, um, I, I don't know. Like, it it feels it feels so long ago. It feels weird to be talking about this because it feels so long ago. But, um, you know, it, it's just the goals that went in again weren't great. You know, there's some def- absolute defensive breakdowns. And then just mix that with some not great goaltending during this, uh, this stretch mm-hmm. of time. And it really just was everything going wrong for Ottawa. You know, and I know a lot of people were just at, at their ends and, and fairly so. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it felt like literally just – it was one of those things where it's like, hey, not everything can keep going this wrong, can it? And yeah. that's the best way I can describe that.
1: I think. Yeah, no, I I, I think that that's fair. It, it did it did feel, um, as you said, like they were never actually going to dig out of the hole. I'm you know I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it in more detail as we go on, but you're bang on in saying that one of the problems that the Sens have this year is that even in the instances where they you know break even or get ahead. On the shot and the chance category they don't have the finishing talent um you know one of the things i've remarked upon before is that you know they've got in my opinion you know eight or nine guys that you would want on a good nhl team i think there's a few guys that are right out there every night that i you know just wouldn't want on a good nhl roster period but they've got eight or nine guys that i think would have a space on a good nhl roster but the problem is that at least three of those guys and maybe you could make an argument for, for even more of them are very uh, range in kind of you know offensive ability to, from limited to like very limited. like i like Connor brown i think he's a good player uh i think if he's on your third line in checking capacity you can be a good team but he's very limited offensively he's been limited offensively his whole career this is not like a new development i know he you know went for 20-ish goals last year you know, when you, when you play 21 minutes a game, you can score 20 goals. Um, Nick Paul, another guy I like a lot. I think if he's on your third line, Nick Paul does good things for you. Nick Paul's not the most skilled guy in the world. Uh, and then the same thing with Colin White. So you've got three guys that I think, you know, fit well on a good NHL team, but they're being asked to be, you know, finishers and not finishers. Like realistically, you know, I think you look at at Pappelsen, you look at Kachuk, you look at, you know, Stuzla. And you've got the outline of, you know, a, a kind of a skilled lineup there, but you're, 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 they're still lacking quite a bit. So when they get behind the eight ball, as they have so many times, it's going to be hard for them, you know, to convert enough to get back in games. That's, that's, that's going to be a problem. The, the thing I remember about that game, that was the game that Stusa scored on the breakaway at the end um, when he took that kind of pass and just blew by the Oilers defender and land scored. That was the game, for me at least, that um, I remember seeing the kind of the beginning of um, Stuzla's kind of confidence developing. Um, I wrote a piece for the site not long after that about him and Brandstrom, who I'm sure we'll also talk about. Stuzla's, you know, had a, had his absence and heads down. Um, up until that game, I hadn't felt like he had really been of asserting himself offensively and there were a couple plays of that game the last like 10 minutes of that game only. so he scores a break break ball and then dj smith it was weird it's like dj smith realized like oh my god this kid's good and He <laughs> starts right now i think he even double shifted at one point and he's just you know he's doing things he's doing things with the puck he's going at guys and it, it was you know i'm, I'm loath to say like oh you can see it but like it really felt like you can see it like, oh my god he's got it he's figured it out um, obviously hasn't through it. But that was that was from that game, that's what I remember thinking. It's like, okay, this is this is a legit positive. They you know, they weren't really gonna win this game, but Stusa showed us some stuff which is which is very positive in my books.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, it's only been up kind of there from from there for him because, you know, we get into the Montreal games. And, again, I don't need to detail these in super, super detail, but, you know, Stutzel looks great. You know, he, he gets uh, in that first game against Montreal. Uh, you know, uh, Branstrom comes in. Uh, he looks really good in the in, you know, Zub's in now full-time. Uh, they, they make some changes up front. Um, and Stutzel in this Montreal game, you know, he has a, a goal and two assists. Branstrom gets an assist and looks pretty good um it's one of those things where you know right away you could see they kind of take some guys out you know Coburn's not in the lineup Josh Brown's not in the lineup anymore um and you know it's obviously not all their fault or anything but Paquette's not a full-time guy in this lineup anymore and they just you can see the spark there and they um you know they they look good against Montreal they beat them 3-2 then lose 2-1 in a in a really close game and then the last two games here against Edmonton 3-1 and 3-2 and we'll get into those in a little bit but uh, Schlitzel, I thought was one of the guys who has really stood out lately and I think it's it's a great uh, turning point to one thing I mentioned to you that I want to talk about today and, and that's been the um, aggressive gap between, you know, his underlying numbers and what I've seen from an eye test perspective and, you know, mm-hmm. I think most people who know me or, you know, listen to the podcast would say that uh, I definitely tend to look at the, the numbers first before and, and, you know, see what I'm seeing with the eye test. You know, you got to use both of them, but uh, for me, I, I'm definitely a big numbers guy. And what what I'm seeing from Stutzal on the ice is, as you said, he's developed way more confidence over the past six games. That's clear. But even in his first four or five, I really didn't mind them as a, for a rookie in the NHL, you know, but when you look at his numbers, they are, um, they're, they're not good to, to put it, uh, <laughs> put it lightly. Like he's mm-hmm. uh over the, the course of the full season, he's at the bottom of the Sens team for expected goals at like 28%. Over the six-game mm-hmm. stretch, he's up to closer to 40, I think. So, you know, he's he's regressing a little bit in the right way. But his Corsi 4 numbers aren't great either. They're slightly better. I think they're around 40-something this year. Um, but I, I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, what have you seen from Stutzel this year and is there a reason do you think from this this big gap between the numbers and the eye test? because I think if you ask just about anyone, you would say he's looked pretty good, you know he hasn't been an all-star by any means, but for a 19 year old playing in his first 10 NHL games he's looked good.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Um, it's, it's funny you, you know we were talking about this a little bit before, it's been sub- something the topic of conversation um, you know among the, the sense fans who so pay attention to the numbers that you described. Um, and I was talking about this with, with a couple of other SANS fans as well, and as one of them pointed out, I think very astutely, um, so I'm, I'm, this isn't entirely my idea, but I'll riff on it. Um, the thing about watching a hockey game, um, especially when you're not in the arena, is that you only see where the camera is pointed, and the camera is pointed at the puck. And so you see Stutzla, with the puck. And I think we would all agree he's doing good things with the puck a lot of the time. He's still occasionally, um, I think getting surprised isn't quite the right word, but there are still times when you know NHL defenders muscle him, I think in a way that he isn't expecting, um, or he hasn't experienced before. Certainly in the junior level, probably not even in the German league level, um, but what you're missing just from watching a game um, is everything that happens away from the puck, right? And so there's this whole big part of a hockey game that's occurring, you know, away from the puck, uh, especially defensively. And so I think the issue that you would, you would kind of uh, ascribe to Stutzla is he's probably struggling a little bit defensively as, you know, most, you know, 18 and 19 year olds do in the NHL, uh, which is kind of totally expected. And, you know, you may not see it, but the numbers see it, right? And so I don't, I don't think that, you know, the numbers are wrong, like they, they are what they are. I guess in that in that regard, though, I, I would say kind of two things. Uh, the first thing is, um, especially with this smaller sample, I'm hesitant to put a lot of weight on expected goals. Um, even with this small sample, I get a little bit nervous about individual player Corsi, but expected goals are even a smaller subset of that. And so, in general, I would expect the expected goals to regress to the course. So, you know, where is he at these days? I think it's like 47 or 48. 47, uh, yeah, 48. So, you know, not wonderful, but not totally swamped. And, you know, I would expect his expected goals to come back to that. And, you know, by the way, I would say the same thing if he was way above, like if he was rocking a 60%, you know, I would say the same thing. The second thing, though, in, in that area um, is that, you know, Young players do often struggle by, you know, advanced metrics, which are, are very useful tools for measuring um, NHLs, because playing the NHL as a teenager is very hard. And what you're going to see, in, and this is, you know, my total personal kind of scouting opinion is what you're looking for, uh, especially with a player like Stutzla is, are the skills there to be a high-end? In my opinion, yes. I think anyone who watches him play, like, wow, okay. He can execute high-level plays. To my my eye, there's only one other guy on the sense who can execute plays. Like, he can, and that's shovel. Uh Even Brady Pachuk, who I'm a big fan of, does a lot of things really well, but even he doesn't have the high-level skill that Stušla has. It's just it's just Um And if you can do that, uh, the other stuff, in my opinion, like, you know, where to be positionally is going to come um it may maybe it'll take a little bit but it's gonna come and I wouldn't even be surprised if it comes before the end of the year do you know what I mean like I don't think he's gonna be you know a dominant player before the year but it's gonna come yeah I I definitely agree with that where it's you know it
0: makes sense right like you can you can if you're a coach you can teach a guy where to stand in his defensive end or you know he's gonna learn how to read a puck and you know he's gonna learn you know people's body language. And if they're looking this way, it might mean that you, you just pick up on little things like that, but you can't teach a guy to dangle through three players and snipe it up top. Someone's yeah. not learning that from what a coach <laughs> is teaching them. Right. So no. I, I definitely think you, 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 hit it right on there. Right. And I, I don't I t- definitely agree with you where, um you know, on both points, really, I think, you know, it's, I mean, we have research to show that over a long period of time expected, if there's a big gap between expected goals and course E4 uh, expected usually you know it uh, goes towards the c 4 not the other way around generally speaking obviously not everyone's the same but um and you know it's just such a low number where i do think it's going to go up and it has been going up you know even from the past game or two and as you mentioned it's such a small sample size and that's why you know i had a couple of people on twitter yesterday being like Oh, this is why you can't use them just the numbers. I was like, well, that's exactly what I'm saying here right now is like it's a 10-game sample size. It's not no one should be screaming he's a bust or anything. It's it's just a curious case of why it's so different, right? And um, mm-hmm. but it is going up. And you know, I think the the thing with expected goals or expected goals against, especially, is you can get kind of hit with, especially in a small sample size like this, where you can get hit with almost some of the issues with plus minus, where it's like. If you step on the ice and your team lets an expected goal against or whatever, you know, a high danger shot, but you're at the red line because your guy made a brutal change, that's not on you, right? And over the course of a full season, those things, especially when you're looking for and against, will tend to get flushed out a little bit. But over 10 games, they might not, right? Like there could be three or four situations in a 10-game stretch where it's like, oh, that was just pure bad luck. So, um, yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I would say that the skills there, just watching him is – um, clearly just one of the most high-end players I, I've seen on this team in a long while. Like just some of the stuff he can do with the puck is just, it's really amazing. Like I, I'm looking back right now at the, the first uh, goal against the Habs when they, they played them, they started because he took it. He didn't, he realized he didn't like the rush, took it all the way back into his own end. moved around a four checker, snapped the puck all the way up to the other side, center of the ice. And that turned down on a two on one. For the 1-1 tying goal and it's just it's things like that and we've seen it over and over from him already this year that are so encouraging as a 19 year old player where it's like he's already learning that just heads up in space if i don't like it i don't need to force it through the neutral zone and i, I saw Pierre dorian had a quote today and he was saying something like he thinks he should dump it in more than trying to angle through three or four guys i was like Yes, there's, there's sometimes, but I was like, also, you shouldn't be telling your star player he needs to dump the puck in. I, I, I'd i rather him learn that, you know, okay, dang, but like, you know, I don't even think it's that much of an issue for him. Is the other thing, right? But I'd rather him learn not to dangle it than be like, yes, just dump the puck in all the time. Because when you have a guy of that skill, it doesn't benefit him to not have the, the puck on his stick,
1: right? No, totally agree. I think one of the things that will be very interesting to watch is um... – you know what they do with with Stusla and with all the other kids from a development perspective. Um, you know, I don't I don't think this is controversial to say that, you know, DJ Smith is a meat and potatoes conservative kind of coach. Um, you know, I'm not saying that's an intuitively bad or anything, but that's that's the way he, he thinks about the game. Um, he's done a lot of good things for a team, so I shouldn't be misconstrued as me, you know shitting on DJ Smith from my French. Um, but um, he certainly has an attitude about, you know, prevention. Defense is kind of big. And, take, and you know, the way that coaches talk about it in the NHL or in, in kind of high level hockey in general, is they talk about protecting the puck. And what they mean by protecting the puck is exactly what you're just Sometimes you need to chip and chase. And I, I don't think it's automatically a bad thing, um, but I do agree. You know, when you've got skill guys, one of the things that you should be Doing is giving them the freedom to create. And I think what's really interesting about like Chevrolet's development, for instance, is that they seem to by and large have allowed him to continue to, to create offensively. Um, I know for a certain sub segment of, of Sens fans, his turnovers um, are really aggravating. And like, I don't like it when he turns over either, don't get me wrong. But to me, when I look at someone like Chevrolet, the trade off is worth it. Like, if you say to him, you know, you have the, the freedom to create offense. Um, the stems get offense when he's on the ice in a way that they don't when he's off the ice. And the occasional turnover is, you know, kind of the price you have to pay a little bit for that. Whereas, you know, not to not to you know, make a, um, a whipping horse out of uh, Connor Brown, but again, I think was pretty decent. Connor Brown is never going to have a bad turnover because he's never going to try it. Like <laughs> anyone who's watched Connor Brown, you know, extensively, you know, if he's got the puck in the neutral zone, he's chipping and chasing like every single time. And there are there are benefits to that. The benefit is that you very rarely give up five man rushes the other way, like basically never. The downside is it totally blunts your offense, right? And so, you know, will they continue to give Stussla the kind of freedom that they gave Shebo? I, I hope so. Um I hope that they look at Shebo and they say, like, oh this has actually turned out pretty well. Uh, but it's it's a good question. I think that's you know a big part of to me anyways. Evaluating whether DJ Smith has done a good job at the end of the year is going to be you know what happens with the kids, what happens with and what happens with Chisnell, what happens you know with Norris. right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, with the Connor Brown thing, it's you want him playing zero hockey out there. You know, you don't mm-hmm. really care if he doesn't score, but he mm-hmm. can't get scored on. You know, and and that's okay. Like if you, as you said, you Connor Brown's a perfect third or fourth line guy where. Um, on a really skilled team you know where you have a high-end talent top six which I think Ottawa's is trying to shoot for eventually here that's okay because if your third lines are just playing even they're not gonna let anything up but they're not they're probably not gonna chip anything in either then you're just relying on your top six to score and that's a good game plan when you have the top six to do it it's just right now they haven't found the goals so it doesn't look as great but that being said it's just the way they're gonna play right and I don't I, I don't hate it. I, like it's for certain guys, but as he said, like it's going to be interesting to see because you can't, uh, you can't just paint everyone with the same brush, right? You need to let certain guys develop how they're going to develop. And it, it's funny because it really just kind of reminds, especially with the turnover stuff. It really just reminds me of what we kind of went through with Eric Carlson for years mm-hmm. on that here, right? Like um, yep. some people would cite his high turnover numbers and be like, well, yeah, anyone who's controlling the puck as much as Eric Carlson and moving the puck as much as Eric Carlson is going to have, highest turnover rates in the league right like year in year out you look at the guys who lead in turnovers and um you know back in carlson's prime it was carlson suban dowdy burns like the the top the guys you would think of top defensemen now it's it's same thing it's hughes it's mccarr like it's guys like that because they're doing as much as they can with the puck and yeah sometimes they're going to turn it over but guess what once one in ten times they're going to turn it over the other nine they're going to make a stretch pass that leads to an offensive rush so you take the good with the bad and as long as the goods outweighing the bad, which in a case of, you know, Stutzel and Shabbat, obviously, I clearly think it is. And so, you know, I hope they keep it going. Um uh, The only other game I really wanted to talk about was last night's uh, recording this, This will probably be out Thursday. We're recording Wednesday night. So the the Tuesday night game against the Edmonton Oilers, the Sens lose 3-2. We're going to get in some player narratives and stuff like that, Uh, some some not great goaltending, to put it lightly. But I really thought that that was one of Ottawa's best games of the year and most encouraging because – uh, to me, it showed that they could hang with a team like Edmonton who, you know, they're not the best team in this division, but they're a pretty good team, but they completely shut down Dreisaitl and McDavid all night. And it wasn't to the point where sometimes they only get a point or two, but they they hit a post or two and, you know, the goaltender makes amazing save. I really thought they did a really, really good job of shutting down both of them in both the second, the, the, the third and fourth game they played. And that was encouraging to me because it showed me that these young guys, they dominated the rest of the game at five on five. It showed me that they could step up, you know, they could play a kind of trap game if they needed to. Um, Yes, they didn't get the points. It was unfortunate. But um, these last two games against Edmonton and really the games against Montreal as well, I've been, even though they're one in three, it sounds weird to be encouraged by a one in three record, but I've been really, you know, pretty encouraged by what I've seen. I'm I'm wondering, you know, how you feel, if you feel the same way or if you've seen anything different than me.
1: Yeah, so I think that, the overall feeling of being positive despite a 1-3 record is, um, you know, shared. I feel the same way. I think that one of the things that's interesting to look back on at the outset of the season um, was how much the organization really tried to sell fans on the fact that they were going to be more competitive this year, which was such, in my mind, a strategic mistake. Like, they, anyone with, like, kind of a clear-eyed view of this roster, they just were not going to be good. Maybe they were going to be, a little bit better there was just too much flotsam too many kids like it just was not going to be a good team i feel like they did themselves a pretty big disservice uh you know when, when dorian and melnick were at, like yeah you know we're going to be competitive that's 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 i I mean you know some people would say you know what are they supposed to say oh, i don't say anything say so, you know the kids are gonna they're gonna Always get better and, yeah. and we're gonna yeah. it's a development year you know um, yeah. so you know i i didn't come into this season with any delusions about um the senators like competing for playoff squad or anything um you know i did our preview columns i went on some podcasts um i was always the same note like they're probably going to finish last in the division um and it brings me no joy to report this like i don't like that they're <laughs> gonna last, but um at the same time you know i think my expectations for the team were that um we see forward progress like we see better sustained play we see development of the, of the youth and on both counts there have been a lot of positive things to, to look at from the last few games so yeah from the last four games you know carried the play in a lot of those games some of the things that we talked about before you know where a score were playing a big role in some of those big blowouts not the same way in these last few games right like in a game that you know you're down uh you end up losing you know eight five for instance we talked about that game they were just you know two or three goals spread the whole game they were just you know blitz. Any, almost any chances that you get in that situation, not entirely written off the score effects, but in the big way you can. These games against Montreal and the last two games against Edmonton, they were competitive in every single one of those games. And the other teams, you know, were not trying to, you know, turtle for two periods. Like, especially last night's game uh, against Edmonton, you know, Edmonton maybe was trying to protect the lead, but they weren't trying to get, you know, shot 30 to 10 over the last two periods like that. <laughs> That wasn't their game plan. So, you know, very much kudos to the Sens for that. Um, the only disappointing part, I guess, is obviously Bradstone's injury, but, you know, progress from the kids. One of the things you touched, you, you mentioned that I wanted to touch on was, you know, how they held their own at 5-on-5 five five last night. An interesting tactical wrinkle that, you know, I saw from D.J. Smith is he's, D.J. Smith is a very big believer in hard matching against the other team's top line. Um, and particularly he wants, Connor Brown, whoever Connor Brown is putting with to play against the team's top line. So um, even though on the whole, the Sens had a very successful night five-on-five five last night, uh, the Brown-Kachuk-Tierney line actually kind of got buried a little bit by McDavid, since we're a little bit lucky that that line didn't score. Um, now that kind of happens to everybody, like McDavid's line bears everybody, especially now that he's got uh, Jesse Puljujarvi, who I thought absolutely fantastic for the Oilers. He looked, done.
0: he looked really good. It. And I know Yeah, you
1: can say it's just Ottawa, but he's looked no, really good yeah, all
0: Harvey's, year long.
1: Like, well, year yeah. he's good. Um, yes. But yeah, what I was going to say is uh, the other, so then he hard, very hard matched uh, the um, white Paul Dadunov line against the dry side line. He tried to get the most much as he could, and they won that match. Line. That was maybe the most encouraging thing out of last night's game to me is the, the white Dadunov Paul line putting the boots to trace the dry side line. Had them pinned in for extended periods of time. Uh, I thought Colin White looked very good again, um, you know, bringing a lot of speed through the middle of the ice that the Sens don't have otherwise. Um, obviously Stefan is not moving too fast these days. Uh, Chris Tierney totally fine, but not a great skater. Um, even Josh Norris, who's like a decent skater, still not the same level as White. Like White brought a lot through the neutral zone, and I thought he did a really good job of using that effectively, too, to defensively. And that was, to me, probably the biggest positive of last night's game how good the White called that on those.
0: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And, um, you know, they, for if anyone's wondering how good they were, you know, five on five shot attempts were 18 to three uh, when that line was on the ice um the expected goals number was uh 0.9 to 0.18 so 83 percent in both of them which is just mm-hmm. like outstanding absolutely dominant numbers you know like for comparison um i would say a line that you know I had a pretty good night with stutzel norris watson and they were at 57 percent mm-hmm. and uh i don't know what they're expecting well, sorry uh 85 actually that's a huge gap in between but um but still like it and it is encouraging and it's one of those things where again I don't really want to beat a dead horse because I think every coach has their ups and their downs but the fact that it took Colin White seven games or whatever to get into this roster full-time will it it will never not blow my mind and I I don't know if they were trying to send him a message or what but like it was just it was painfully obvious that he was definitely one of the best eight forwards on this team probably like at, at the very worst I think if you even if you want to say Norris and Stutzel are better from than him on day one, which I don't, I don't think you can just make that comparison either. Right. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's been very encouraging to see him step in and, and show like I, I, he can't come out of the lineup. Simply put, he's played way too well. And I think anyone, I think even Smith would admit that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no way that Colin White can be coming out of the lineup because he's just looked way too good. And, you know, he, he's making, He's, play, he's helped this team a considerable amount now that he's actually getting some good linemates because, you know, you can't also just throw him in there for eight minutes a night with Paquette and Watson and be like, well, he didn't produce. What do you want me to do, right? Like, you, you see he's actually getting some good line mates, and shocker, he's producing. So, um, yeah, it's really encouraging. It's something that um, I've really liked seeing. Obviously, you know, I we've all raved about Nick Paul's game this year and, you know, I was a big believer of him coming into, into the season, but he's even exceeded my expectations mm-hmm. to the point where, like, I think he's legitimately playing himself into the future plans of Ottawa, at least in some capacity. Like totally. I um, go heading into this year. I, like, I don't think I would have had him on my expansion protection list Would you, but like if he continues this play, I, I think he's going to be on it or at least a prime contender for it. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Nick Paul's actually a really interesting player to me because um, I think that he, he rescued his pro career last year because he was falling out of favor with the Sens organization before last season. He got kind of one last kick of the can after, you know, dominating the AHL and um, had the good fortune of being on a line with uh, JJ uh and Connor Brown, um, which was kind of a, a good place for him. And he, you know, potted a few goals and he kind of caught the team's attention. And in some ways it was, you know, a bit of a case of, making the most of an opportunity right and based on that and I, I mean you know i don't think it was like all luck or anything like i think he was he was pretty good um you know he earned that that contract and you know now he's very much in, in Ottawa's plans um i think that he like Connor Brown you know is a is a, like an elite you know fourth liner good third liner you know the kind of guy if, if you had like that, that Pedro Brown, Paul, third line, to me is almost like the ideal of a third line. A little bit of offense, good skating, defensively responsible, uh, can grind out a cycle in the offensive team's end, you know, where they tire out the other two An
0: energy line that's actually yeah. good at hockey, right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, that's exactly it. Um, the thing that I think is most impressive about Paul actually this year, you know, versus last year versus the season before, um, is he's always been, uh, a, a big guy, he's a huge guy. And I think that in the past, maybe the way he's been coached up or maybe the way that he's kind of approached the game is very much to be, you know, a pure, uh, bang and crash guy. And I think that from watching him this year, he's taken a more kind of nuanced approach to it where, you know, he's, he's laying the body when he. When he can when it makes sense, and he's winning lots of physical battles. So I'm not discounting that. But the plays he's making, I think that everyone's latching onto, where he's knocking down he passes in the neutral zone, where he's you know breaking up uh, plays, it's like you know, not you know, Mark Stone, but it's Mark Stone-esque. It's this idea of you know anticipation of being in the right place, of never giving up on a play. And I, I think part of that is, honestly, is confidence. Like, you know, he's got a full-time job in the NHL now. He's not going to get promoted, you know, if he goes a game where he doesn't score a goal. Um, you know, he doesn't have to prove himself on every single shift. And that kind of level of confidence allows you to, you know, pick your spots a little bit better. And he just, he looks so much better in that regard. I still think, you know, the, maybe the hot start kind of got people a little... Uh, hot under the collar or you know saying, oh I'm Nick Paul, top six guy. I, I don't know if i go that far. Um but uh you know he's for for a guy that two years ago I didn't think was in the set of plans at all as you say. Um you know I think if Nick Paul's your your third line left former you're in good shape.
0: Yeah I think he might be a top six on this team, but mm-hmm. this is also mm-hmm. the 31st place team in the yeah. league, right? So <laughs> yes yeah, so uh, yeah but and yeah the confidence thing is but I've kind of hit on a couple times this year is you know um, again, he's taken his game to a whole new level this year. That that's un, uh, undeniable. But it just felt like a couple times, you know, two especially two years ago, you know, under under Boucher or Crawford or whoever he would get a chance under, it felt like he was just he knew that he was playing to not make a mistake. He knew if if a mistake, you know, if a goal went in when he was on the ice, it didn't really matter what happened. He was going to be benched or you know sent down the next day because of it. And, and it's just not a good way for any player to play, right? Like when you're playing like that, you're not going to play like the player you can. You're not going to do any of the skilled things you want to try, but you're just going to be nervous to do anything. Right. And I think the confidence has been huge. It's been such a difference maker. And, you know, I'm sure lighting up the AHLs helped that as well. You know, find a scoring touch a little bit. But, um yeah it's been it's been absolutely amazing to see and and i think you see you hit it perfectly again where you know he's he's a great third fourth you if you're, he's on your fourth line you have a really 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 good team and you know mm-hmm. if he's on your third line you're perfectly happy about that because he can go out he's not going to get caved in on his own end you know he, he can provide a spark if your line match him against third lines he's going to score a couple goals but uh, yeah he's just kind of the perfect you know all-round player and it's um it'll be interesting to see how they approach his contract or, you know, what, what plans they have for him going forward. Cause I, he's someone I think would be a good, you know, kind of not Conor Brown replacement, but the same idea where you, you, sign him maybe two or three years and, you know, probably by the end of that contract, you're looking to move him out just because you hopefully have other guys that are going to be taking his place, but you never know. Right. Like, and uh, you just kind of take it year by year there I go, I think, but um, yeah, you know, some other guys that have kind of impressed me over this last little stretch, uh, Zoop uh, or Zub, Zub um, you know, he's been the talk of Sense Twitter lately. Uh, I'm astonished at how good he looks. I, I really, I, I, I was curious to see, you know, what he would bring. I thought, you know, when, when you have guys who have been, it wasn't overly hyped, but there was a bunch of teams who wanted his services. He's okay. He's probably an NHL level defenseman. He, and again, it's six games. So you can't make any, any uh, total prophecies right now. But if he continues to play even somewhat like he's playing right now, I think he's another guy who's probably starting to pencil his way into the Sens' future plans, at least for the next two year year or two, right? As they try and develop some more guys, because he has been dominant and like legitimately is looking like a top four defenseman right now in the NHL. Yeah, no, so it, it's
1: funny you say that. Actually, I had an article like that, uh, this morning from this site about Zoom. Uh, uh, I think you pronounce it. Um, yeah, I, I was not. I, I was not full of, you know, big expectations for him when he came over. He's 25. He's only ever played in the KHL. Um, you know, I, I, I think good players get missed, but usually, you know, if you're going to be an impact player in the NHL, at some point you'll have been drafted or, you know, s- someone will have picked up on you. You won't be signed in as a 25 year old the auto Senators. So, um, you know, my expectations weren't super high, but I also viewed him as almost like a total wild card. I understood that, um, you know, there was a wide range of possibilities on the, on the board for how he was going to perform. Um, I also was a little bit apprehensive because the, you know, the parallels to uh, to Zaitsev were a little bit eerie. Um, yeah. Z- Zaitsev was the same age when he came over, same kind of thing, had a breakout season in the KHL, you know, got picked up now as i said in the article um, which again you guys can check out on the website uh, i've been impressed with with zoo um, you know the numbers you know paint a rosy picture and you know the stuff that we've been able to watch so far to me at least correlates he moves the puck really well um you know this isn't any kind of new insight but one of the biggest differences between you know the sense of the last few games versus the sense of the early part of the season uh, is you know just simply swapping in a couple guys who can move the puck for you know Coburn and Brown. Who it, it seems like silly to be reductive and say you know this is making all the difference in the world, but puck is like a weak link game in some ways, right? If you've got a guy who can't make the basic plays that you need to make, especially defensively, defensively can't move the puck, it can really slow your offense. Um, and, you know, all apologies to Brady Coburn and Josh Brown, but like I, their, you know, number of tape-to-tape, tape, you know, attacking passes that they made all year was, you know, less than five. Like it just was not, you're just not moving the puck. And so Zub, to me, the most impressive thing has been how decisively and how uh, positively he's moved the puck. And not just, and I said this in, the, in, the, in the scenario, and I really think bears repeating. It's one thing to, as a defenseman, make like the strong side 10-foot pass to the guy who's waiting on the sideboards. And if you hit him on the stick, that's great. And maybe they get a, a, a 10-foot pass to the centers coming through the middle. That doesn't really by itself generate offense. That's like an okay play. Um, you know, it's certainly better than just running it off the glass, but like that's an okay play. Zub on a lot of occasions has done better than where you know he waits a beat maybe finds the guy on the far side or you know waits for the four checker to pass regroups goes back to the defenseman and a D to d pass and now you're opening up the weak side of the ice on the far side and that helps a lot having a defenseman who has the patience and the awareness to do that helps a lot so you know if there was a reason that i would kind of believe you know, this could continue, it's, it's that. Because that kind of thing is a high level skill. Um, you can get lucky uh, over any period of time, like six games, especially as you said, it's a tiny sample. Anyone can, can, you know, get good shot numbers in six games. But you see that kind of stuff and you're like, you know what, maybe, maybe there's something to it. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, just as much in the, <laughs> the soup camp as everyone else right now. Uh, we'll see where he ends up. I, you know, I, as I said in the piece, I would be very loath to give him a contract right now. I would be very careful about, you know, making any uh, rash decisions, but he's, he's been good. I, I really liked him.
0: I, I think, you know, it, the Zaitsev comparisons were always scary, but I think the, you know, if the Sens are smart, they can use what happened with Zaitsev as an exact reason of what not to do here with Zoot, you know, where, Mm-hmm. Uh, you look and you know Zaitsev had a pretty solid first year at the least too it wasn't it wasn't great but it was it was good you know and mm-hmm. they thought of him as this young up-and-coming defenseman who's still going to grow his game quite a bit and signed him to a seven-year deal six-year deal I think it was seven years I think at four and a half and you know it backfired and I think that's the exact thing Ottawa should avoid Um, because mm-hmm. again like yes he might you know Produce somewhat like this over a fifty-six game sample, and it could just be purely luck, you know. Um, You know, obviously, I think there'd be a little more to it, but uh, and it may not be this high, but at the same time, you know, it just goes to say that like you you shouldn't be taking a 40 to 50 game sample and being like, yeah, that's all we need to know for this guy. Especially as you said, he's already 25. It's not like this is Kale McCarr coming into the league or, or Hughes coming into the league and, and they look amazing at 19 years old. It's a 25 year old who in all likeliness, this is the best hockey he's going to be playing in his career, you know? But uh, that being said, I think for Ottawa, if you take it a year or two at a time, you know, the nice thing is, they're not strapped for uh cap space. I Man, cash is a different story, but cap space over the next couple of years, you can give them a two-year deal at you know whatever three three mil maybe I don't know. And and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You're gonna be off the books by the time you need that money anyways. If it does work out great. And with Zoo, he really doesn't even need It's not like they need him to be a top two defenseman. I mean, don't get me wrong. If that somehow ever happened, that would be insane. But even if he's just a number four or even a number five, you pick this guy up for nothing but a little bit of cap space. If you can find that, and that's a guy who can stop gap a roster until, you know, one of your right handed defensemen are actually ready to step up, you know, someone who can take that, what we thought DeMello might be, and play with Shabbat for a year or two that's all you can ask for really out of out of her free agent signing from Russia. So I'm really encouraged to, you know, to see what he's doing. But I do hope that, you know, they take what they saw from Zaitsev and they, they apply it in the situation where, yeah, it's not a guy, you know, I don't care how good he plays. I don't want to see them give him six years. It's just, it's not a good use of your money and it's not a smart bet to make. Right. But if if you give them a year or two and you see where you go from there, you know, you can reevaluate. And that's kind of what I hope they do because uh, so far, as you said, there's been no downside really of his play. He's been the best right-handed defenseman they've had by a mile. And some of that speaks to how weak the right hand is, but uh, at the same time, like you can't, you know, he, he can't control who else is on the team. He can just do what he's done. And what he's done so far is look, like a pretty solid top four defenseman for this right side anyway. So, um, you know, some other defensemen I want to touch on real quick. One was Mike Riley, who he took a lot of heat early in the year, and some of it was deserved. I thought, you know, he made a lot of um, just unforced errors, really. Uh, You talked about Coburn and Josh Brown, and the one thing on that is, you know, it really affects in an 82 game season. You can kind of hide guys like that, but in a playoff series or games like this, where we're seeing three or four games in a row, teams are going to game plan just for you for that entire week. Right. It's almost like a football schedule where it's like, you can, you can look ahead and see who you're playing. And that's where that breakout pass really just struggles. If, if a team knows to hammer those two players, they're gonna hammer those two players, and that's when it's a disaster. And Mike Riley was someone who I, I thought he made a decent amount of unforced errors to start the year, some blown coverages and stuff like that, but his underlying numbers were not that bad compared to the good bransons and the Coburn's and the Josh Browns of the world. And lately it feels like he's finding his game a little more as you know, a five-six guy. And and that's been encouraging too. You know, I, I thought there was the blue line, I was it's been the most it's unfortunate Branstrom got injured, and we didn't get to see both from ammo land in the lineup. the same time but this has been the most encouraged i've been
1: from this blue line all year and it's not even close yeah totally agree i i think that um even compared to last year um i thought that coming into this season there was a chance the blue line was going to be worse than last year um and i think if you know they've gone the whole season with coburn and brown and you know, Branston and Willman and have not made it into the lineup or, or Zub, then, you know, this, this blue line maybe would have been worse than last year, which is really saying something, but, um, you know, that possibility was in play. Um, whereas, yeah, I, you know, Branston's obviously been good. zoo has been a big surprise. Um, but to get to your point about Riley, I, Mike Riley to me is in some ways the most interesting player on the sense, because, I, I've talked about this before, but to me, there's like a Mike Riley experience. And the Mike Riley experience is like, whoa, that's awesome. And then, whoa, what the hell? Uh, and there are a few players on the sense who I think fully encapsulate, you know, like the full spectrum of what's going on in NHL games as Mike Riley. And there was actually there was one sequence last game that I think really, I mean, I, maybe people who watch the game will remember this, uh, that really summed up the Mike Riley experience for me, where the Sens were defending. Uh, it was in the second period. There was a play, they kind of broken, They kind of, you know, busted play in, in their defensive end. Riley picked up a pocket and led the rush, uh, essentially creating a three-on-two. He's a good skater. it gets going to the neutral zone pretty quick. Um, you know, great. We love to see it. He's pushing the attack. Uh, and... You know, there's nothing that Mike Riley loves to do more than push the attack. And so he went right at the Orioles' defenseman for kind of clear reasons, and he got pretty easily poke-checked. It uh, very Mike Riley play. But the puck kind of goes to the sideboards, and he makes a very good play to knock down the clearing pass and recover it. And now he's got the puck on the left sideboards, you know, with full control. And I don't know, maybe he just doesn't realize how much time he, he has. But he kind of like wildly spins and flip, throws a wrist around that and just kind of walk right to the corner and the others break out. And it was like, you know, two fantastic plays, two what the hell are you doing plays. And it was just like all of Mike Riley happening at once. It's just things are happening all the time when Mike Riley is on the ice. And he'll go through stretches where, um, you know, the positives outweigh the negatives um, because, you know, he has a decent amount of skill and he's got pretty good offensive instincts. But then yeah, I mean, I forget which game it was now. It was one of the first games of the season, maybe against the Canucks where he just got turn styled a couple times. Like, Oh man, you can't like how can the national defenseman get turn styled like that? You can't can't have guys just locking you. So, you know, Riley to me, I think he ends up as your sixth guy or your seventh guy and he kind of slots in, you know, in a matchup where, okay, one of our puck moving guys is out and we need we need some help in that regard. Maybe we need somebody to run the second powerful unit. Like to me, Riley fits in that kind of situation pretty well. Um, I I think, you know, long term, I I don't think a good team can have Mike Riley on their second pair. Um, whereas, you know, we were talking about Zoob before, you know, it's six games, but they're you know, in the sixth game that Zo's played, like I I don't know, maybe you could have Zub on your second pair. Um, but yeah, I think Riley's your if Riley's your seventh guy, you're fine. If he's more than that,
0: you're in trouble. Yeah. He, it's not a perfect comparison, but he really reminds me of what Cody CC would be. If Cody CC was played where he should have been played, you know, in that six, yeah. seven slot where it's like, or five, yeah. six slot where it's like, he's, you know, not, he doesn't have to take big matchups and he's allowed to do kind of what he wants. Cause it was a, it's a lot of what you just described with Mike Riley is what I would see with CC for four years where it's like, he would make this beautiful three line tape to tape pass. And then, he would just completely forget how to play defense and let three guys walk in wide open in the net. It's like, what are you doing? But it's, it's just, it's so just weird in one side and the other. And um, yeah, I saw another quote today or a rumor. I can't remember from who, but there was a rumor that, you know, branch playing this well, might force uh, the Sense to take a look at a Mike Riley trade. And I'd be totally fine with that. You know, if you can get some kind of asset back for him, I, I don't know what you would get maybe he's a fourth or something like that. Yeah. But, okay. Even that, I think, is okay because, as you said, like most teams should be able to identify a Mike Riley type. Now, should is different than can. You know, obviously, Ottawa went out and looked at Josh Brown, Eric Goodbranson, uh, Braden Coburn. Like, right? yeah, those are great guys to bring in on, the, you know, for this defense core. But, you know, most teams can go out and identify that. So, in theory, it should be easy enough to replace him going forward if you need to as well. But it's just been it's been more encouraging because I thought he was someone who. Definitely at the start of the year took a lot of flack with, um, you know, some of the other guys that have really just not had any numbers to show you know, yeah. what they're doing. And so it's been good to see, um, you know, I don't want to keep you too long here, but one of the, one of the other bigger uh, talking points I want to uh, discuss real quick was goaltending because that has taken a massive uh, shift in discussion over the past four or five games. Uh, Matt Murray has looked amazing in the three last three games he has started, all well, four I guess that he's played in. Really, he, you know I don't know his numbers off the top of my head, but it's over, well over probably a 9.20 in his past four games, and he's just he's been he's looked really good. He's looked like that 2017 form we saw Matt Murray in. Um, so you know with him, he's not even the bigger focus I think right now. But for him, it's encouraging to see. I don't think he's going to be this good. I also don't think he was going to be as bad as we saw in the first four games or so from him. But if he's somewhere in the middle and, you know, he falls around a 905, 908 goaltender for Ottawa this year, you got something to build off. Again, maybe not the most encouraging thing, seeing as you just paid him $25 million in the offseason or whatever. But it's more encouraging than what it was two weeks ago. But the more intriguing thing that I really want to get your opinion on here is what do you do with Marcus Hobart? Because Mm -hmm. I was really, I loved I really liked what I saw from him last year. You know, I thought he had the potential to be maybe a one B in the league, you know, or a good backup, something like that. And he has just, it's been bad this year, right? Flat out bad. It's, Mm -hmm. It's been a small sample and, that's why I'm kind of, you know, I, I saw DJ Smith had a quote today and he was saying he wants to give him another start, but if it, things keep going this way, he's going to have to look for accountability. And I think that's fair because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, it's such a tough decision, but I'm I'm kind of on the fence right now of the season is so meaningless. Anyways, they're, they're going to come seventh, give him another start or two. If he shows a little more confidence, see what he can go from there as a backup. But if it's That performance might have been the worst goaltending performance I've seen in a very long time on Tuesday night. It was just two goals that a junior B goalie probably should have had. And another one that it was like, yeah, he had a bit of a screen, but he also cheated way to the right to find the puck. So I'm curious what you do if your sense management or the coaching staff with Hobart, Do you do you think about bringing you know Joey Decord up if you know when the AHL gets going again here? Philip Gustafson is right with the taxi squad right now. Do you think about giving either of those guys a start, or do you just say we're going to run it with Murray and then you know hopefully Holberg's confidence bounce back and he becomes a backup goalie for this season, anyways?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I um I was with you. uh, vis-a-vis over performance last year um, in that I was actually fine with them starting the season with out having traded for Matt Murray. Like I was, an, I was not really an advocate for that trade. I didn't, I didn't think they gave up like a ton to get him, you know, Brood and then a pick, the, you know, not the end of the world. So the, the, the price paid there, you know, wasn't so bad that I you know, killed them for it or anything. Contract could maybe be a little bit dubious, but you know we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that. <laughs> That's um, definitely
0: the sketchy point, I think, when you look yeah. back at memories. Why? Why'd you have to give him four years? But I,
1: uh, I mean, maybe that was what it took to bring him here. But any, anyway, yeah. I digress. Um, certainly, you know, Homberg, I, my my general feeling on him was he'd shown enough um, that I thought he warranted a pretty good run of you know play in the NHL. See so see what he can do in in a larger sample. Um, i'm someone who you know i never play goalie. uh i play defense i didn't play pro hockey I played decent hockey so i don't try to like you know extrapolate my playing experience onto players but i certainly don't try to extrapolate my playing experience onto goalies um so you know the only time that i can really give any comment on goalie playing is kind of what you're describing when it's like so far out of bounds that it's you know even a you know someone who knows nothing like me can have like it really was jarring um how out of position that he was on a couple of those shots the uh i think it was the goal, which was the third one he like he was a foot off his post which is yeah. to the wrong, and that is like that is that's a lot like that's you know the kind of thing you know if i was you know, my goalie and my men's league team did that, I would kind of have some questions about, you know, what he was doing. Right. So yeah, that's, that's really jarring in in a way, you know, I almost would um, because it's so far off normal, I would almost be more willing to ascribe it to a mental thing. And because it's so like, it's so broken that you can be like, okay, you know, he'll get his confidence back and then he'll be okay because we've seen a run of play for them before. So, you know, what would I do if I would send management? I would, you know, lean heavily on Murray, which they were gonna do anyways, I think. Um, you know, my expectations for Murray was, were always, you know, somewhere in between the kind of top of the league performance he gave in 2017 and the like, you know, let's be real, bad performance he gave last year in Pittsburgh. There's a reason he was available because he's was bad. Um, which, you know, kind of lands like 9-10 kind of that was kind of where I expected him to be, um, you know, maybe a little bit lower, maybe not realistic. But like, if he gave if he gave the sense that that was what I expected, and you know what, just lean into that and and ease cold quarterback in because to me, you know, Decor is now that there's an AHL season, I I think anyways he should be the number one goalie in the AHL. Let him play the games in the AHL, um, and you know. I, I, I don't see how sending Hogberg back to the AHL would help anything, um, because you want Decor to play the games. So let Decor play the games, and you know you're going to have because of the schedule, they're going to be back-to-backs. Give Hogberg, you know, a couple of those back-to-backs, and you know, as you said, they're not fighting for a playoff spot. The only the only risk there is that you know what kind of message are you sending to your team? You know, like this is sorry, guys, we're punting this game kind of, you know, reminds you of being back in minor hockey when you had, like, one good goal and one shitty goal. And <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, the shitty goal is this. Sorry, yeah. this. Uh, so, you know, you don't want to do that too much at the initial level. but, you know, I, I think he's earned enough over that is He's earned enough credibility with the organization that he deserves at least a few more kinks of the camp. Like, if, if, if he doesn't sort it out, you know, on the next. Say so he gets two more starts and they're both bad, and like, bad like this, where he's, you know, you know, foot off his post. Then, okay, you know, maybe he needs to like spend some time on the his squad rebuilding his confidence. But I, you know, I would lean heavy on Murray and bring Mirko Berg and a couple, you know, front ends and back guys.
0: I, I think that's where I am at with it too. You know, it's if it's anything like that, like that. I I just I cannot describe how bad that last game it was, was. Really and bad. <laughs> like, it was so bad. I'm watching I'm like, oh my gosh, like these are like. The even the first, it's like the first one it's like okay, not, I, I was just where I watched it five times. I was like, where did that pot go that it went through him? And then, but yeah, if it's like that, it's like, okay, you need to sit him down on taxi squad, not even just for him, but as you said, what kind of messages to send the team that it's like, yeah, this guy is just being brutal, but Hey, we're going to send him out there a couple more times for you guys. Um, So I, I definitely agree with that. And the other thing is too, Yes, he's at as low as possible value, but I'm still not convinced he wouldn't get claimed. Um, we've mm-hmm. seen some of the other goalies that have any. If he goes to the taxi squad, he's got to be placed on waivers, obviously. And we've yes. seen some other goalies that have much less of a history of being good than him be claimed this year already because teams are so desperate for when a guy goes down or they need someone on their taxi squad. Now, with how many teams are on delay just because of COVID situations, maybe you get a little more lucky right now, but. It's just something that I'm not entirely sure I'd want to risk because at the end of the day, he still is a 25, 26-year-old goalie who's shown some good potential. And I don't know if I'm entirely ready to give up on that. And I I I think you, you know, I I definitely agree where if it's three or four more games of this just can't continue, then Mm -hmm. sure, yeah, you you cut bait and you hope that no one takes him and you can rebuild his confidence. But Um, You know, just right now, I I would be okay seeing him get another game. I looked ahead, uh, the send schedule coming up here, they're going to play, I think it's four games that have days spread out. So I'm assuming Murray will get all four of those. And then Mm -hmm. I think the fifth game is a back-to-back against Toronto in about a week and a half, next Thursday, I believe it is. So I think Holberg should get that start probably. And then, you know, you, you see what he looks like from there. If he looks good, maybe you give him a start in two games or so. And if he doesn't look good, again, play Murray until you can't, until you need to play him. And then if he looks bad from there, maybe, maybe you got to re-talk into, you know, what you're doing in the backup situation. But I definitely think that it's probably the right move to, to keep him up just for now, just for all the the other points. And um, yeah, I, I don't think sending him down to the AHL does any good to anyone really, you know, mm-hmm. um, I've been, and we're going to get into this. The last point I want to bring up is Logan Brown going down to the AHL. i um, again, I'm not even sure how much of a season this will be. Right now they have four games on their schedule. Uh, They can't play in Ontario. The latest report I saw today uh, was, you know, late February is the best they're aiming for to be playing home games in Ontario right now. So that basically means they're going to be playing Laval. Maybe they get out to Manitoba and maybe they get out and play Stockton, I believe is the other team, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So we'll see. But Logan Brown. This is an interesting one. So he gets called up to the taxi squad a couple of days ago. Everyone kind of thinks, okay, you know, he's going to make his way in in a, in a day or two. Uh, an easy mob gets waved this morning. People are like, oh, this is Logan Brown's spot. Like, you know, everything's looking up here. And then it gets told that Matthew Pekka is back up on the taxi squad and, and Logan Brown is down in the AHL. And the, the point behind it is to play AHL games and get his feet underneath them. And I have some thoughts on it it's not the end of the world let's let's get that out of the way right like mm-hmm. it's not like this is just the worst decision everyone anyone's ever made but what frustrates mm-hmm. me is it just feels like there's not much of a plan here um mm-hmm. i can ask a bunch of questions why was he not on the taxi squad before why bother calling him up for two or three days just to send them back down i think he probably should have been starting at the beginning of the year but i like the, the biggest thing that makes me mad is the whole, the biggest defense I've seen is the reason for this is to let him get his legs underneath him. He hasn't played and everyone else has been playing for a month. That would be a good reason if he was hurt and he couldn't play for a month, but it is the team's fault that he is not playing for a month while everyone else has. And now they're using his like, well, he hasn't played for a month. So what do you want us to do? It's like, play him at some point during that month, you know? And um, like, that's the biggest thing for me is where it's just like, it's your fault. He's not playing. So don't act like, you know, Oh, we couldn't have done anything. And, and the other thing is with a four game, like this is going to be a glorified scrimmage. I, maybe not, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but none of the AHL players or a very high percentage of them have not played hockey in a year almost. Right. So yeah. you're sending him down for what is going to be like a preseason game for the a- AHL. I don't think that playing, like you don't need to throw him to the fire to the walls in the NHL, but I think giving him two or three games where you play him 10 minutes in the bottom six to get his legs underneath them or whatever is just as beneficial if he's in the NHL versus letting him play in the AHL against whatever we're going to see in the next four games. Um, I'm curious to see what your thoughts on it, because that's really what I'm I'm at the point where like, these guys keep themselves in such good shape year round where uh, you don't need to throw them to the wolves, but I really don't see the harm in starting him off with like 10 to 12 minutes in a night and then gradually going from there as, you know, he's quote unquote found his legs.
1: Yeah. So, um, I think that as, as you said, as you kind of observed astutely there, you know, they made the choice to not have him in the NHL in the first place. This wasn't something that, you know, was beyond their control. And that actually kind of brings me back to the start of the year when, one of the things that I felt was disingenuous isn't exactly the word I'm looking for, but something pretty close to that. And I think one of the things that really made sense to Ansipcet was at the start of the year, we were sold on somewhat competing missions. the Kids are going to get a chance to play and the team's going to be competitive, but the off season moves that they made were largely to bring in veterans and guys that, I think, you know, it doesn't take hindsight to say we're not going to be beneficial to the team being good. And if you introduce those players on the roster, they are going to take up spots. And the reality of the way the NHL operates um, is that the veterans get the jobs at the start of camp. It is, it is just, there was just no way that Watson, Paquette, Brown, Coburn were not going to be in that starting lineup. It just, there was no sensible argument against that. The team can say all they want that, you know, the kids didn't take it from them. I just, no, it just wasn't going to happen. You know, now, you know, we're 10 games into the year and they've realized, you know, 10 games, but they've realized, oh shit, these guys aren't very good. Um, <laughs> you know, we, maybe we would have been better off just the kids anyways. But the moment that, you know, they traded for Derek Stepan. They were gonna to have to make a choice between Josh Norris and Logan Brown. And you know, I it, give given that choice. I, I don't totally fault DJ Smith for taking Josh Norris. Like Josh Norris, uh, although I don't think he's looked like a, a a one C, uh, I think has been a perfectly decent NHLer and considering you know his age and all that, that's perfectly a good outcome. But the moment they traded his step on, this was a choice that was forced upon him, right? They already made that decision for the team. And so I, I really agree with what you're saying, you know, going back to, okay, you know, this was something that was within your control. If you wanted Josh Brown to be in the NHL, he could have been in the NHL. And, you know, I think a very fair critique of Dorian's off season is what was the point of, you know, bringing in Derek Stefan, right? Like ultimately, you know, you want your kids to play, like why, um, you know, why, why aren't they playing well because you decided for them not to. I, I think that, Given that you know we are now you know six weeks into the season and he has not and William Brown hasn't played NHL hockey, I have some amount of you know receptivity to the argument that you know playing a couple games the NHL would be nice at uh, the NHL part of me would be beneficial. I it, it, it's not like my preferred course of action. Obviously, my preferred course of action would be what you described, where he gets to play in the NHL. I don't think it's totally crazy for him to go and play in the. Um, and, you know, in a way, I suppose, you know, they can say it's part of the development plan. I mean, I don't think it makes them look good that that's the development plan, but, you know, maybe that's what it was. I, I think to me, though, that the thing about Logan Brown and his future with the team is that um, Logan Brown, to me, has the potential to fill a big gap that they have, which is what we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast. The kind of high-end skill that they're missing, right? Not to bag on Josh Norris, who I think has been fine. Josh Norris just—he doesn't—you—you—he doesn't make the kinds of plays that like Stutzla, that Schiphol kind of make. He doesn't have that kind of skill with puck. He doesn't have that kind of vision. He's perfectly good at NHL. Logan Brown, for whatever other faults he has, has that level of skill. And so, if you want your team to take the next step. I think what they really need to do, you don't you can't give Logan Brown 10 minutes with, like, you know, Austin Watson's the world. That's not going to tell you anything. It's not going to be useful to your team. You really got to see, you know, can he make it work with, like, Bathurst and Kachaka. That would be, I, I mean, I know NHL coaches are loathe to do that, but if you've got a guy like Brown who thinks of the game at that level, or put him with Stusla, like Logan Logan Brown with Stusla and Bathurst, and give them guys that can actually, you know, do things with the puck. And, you know, that's when you'll figure it out. So, you know, these games in the AHL, I don't love it. But if the more important thing is when he comes up, you know, does he get to play with players that are at his skill level? That that to me is the big
0: yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, I should clarify, it's not like playing in the age that these games are going to hurt him in any way. Right. I hope not. If the, yeah. Well, yeah, I would say watch he watching a freak <laughs> injury, but if the alternative is just sit and do nothing or go and play four AHL games, sure. Four AHL games, take that obviously. Right. And mm-hmm. I definitely agree, but I, I do. Yes. I do hope when Logan Brown comes up that Chris Tierney slides down to the fourth line and, you know, he plays on that fourth line center, and then that's fine. And then you can play Brown Norris white and whatever three ways you want, because um, I, I've liked Ottawa's wingers enough where I think you can kind yeah. of mix and match, right? Like if you want to put that Paul uh, Brown and Batherson line back together from the, that lit up the AHL for so long. You could do that if you want to put him with Stutzel and Dadanov. You could do that, uh, Mm -hmm. Kachuk and you know Connor Brown, or yeah, and Connor Brown's maybe the the least flashy of them, but having someone like Connor Brown's not going to hurt, right? But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I do hope that it is in a higher role because. You gotta you you. I, I've said this all off season, but you need to know what you have in someone like Connor or Logan Brown, sorry. Mm-hmm. And you know it's the kind of same thing with Branch from this year. You need to figure out what these guys are because you can't just keep penciling Logan Brown in as your two C going forward, but have absolutely no evidence that he's gonna be that right. So if he looks good this year and you go okay, yeah, we see a path forward here, great. If he doesn't look this good this year, at least you know you're gonna to need to readjust your plans going forward, right? And that's why it was just so frustrating watching so many moves and, you know, people just kind of seem to defend them for so many different reasons this off season where, Oh, you need depth for the taxi squad. And Oh no, this is actually a good move for leadership and stuff. It's like, Hey, well we know none of these guys are going to the taxi squad to start, right? Like, Forget and Coburn were never starting on the taxi squad. Like, and, then, and that was the move I probably liked the most from just an isolated standpoint, because you at least got a second round pick for it. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's the same with you give up an asset to go get Derek on, You give up an asset to get good Branson, to get Austin Watson. like, these are the type of players you should be taking in assets for getting, and you shouldn't be taking them all at once, because unless your plan is just not play them at all, it doesn't help your team in any way. Right. And, you combine that with then getting assets for Coburn and and, uh, Paquette and also bringing in guys like Yelchenyuk. And it's like, okay, doing a few of these moves makes sense, but you have so many guys you should be wanting to take a look at that. It just, it never made sense for all of it together. And it's kind of, you know, showing now. And I don't know, like, I think 10 games into the season, the start was absolutely frustrating, but now we're at least getting to see some of these young guys mixing in the lineup, which is nice. And and I, I do hope that Logan Brown is the next guy to come up because, um, you know, by all accounts, he's a pretty good guy. I know I've, I've never met him personally, but he's a really skilled hockey player and he's been someone who just, you know, he's battled through things like injury, it seems like every single year, you know. It'd be really nice to just see him, you know, put it all together and come through as even a top six player and this team would be really, really crucial and something they're lacking desperately honestly like again you said Norris is fine I think Norris has been okay as well but they need a just bona fide top six center and they need a number one center is what they really need I don't know if Logan Brown's going to be it but even having him be something close to that would be nice so uh we'll see where it's going uh Nate thank you so much for joining me today man this was an absolutely awesome conversation uh, I'm
1: glad I could have you my, my pleasure thanks for having me yeah it was a real good chat it's um you know, we were, I think we were talking about this before I came on, uh, there's been a real boom in, in sense podcasts. Um, you know, there's a joke on sense, you know, sense sickos, you know, we're, we're always, you know, gluttons for punishment, but, um, uh, uh, it's always, you know, it's always fun to talk sense hockey. I've been at center has for way too long and I've been, you know, writing about the team for you know seven years now. And it's, it's still fun. I I don't I don't you know we've seen some bad times, but it's still been fun. So uh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. Anytime. I'll have to have you on down the road. And real quick, just plug plug some stuff. You know your work and where people can find you uh, online.
1: Sure. So uh, I'm the managing editor for Silver Seven Cents. Uh, so it's Silver Seven Cents or the SB Nation site for uh, um, Outdoor Center to Um I I write there. We've got. A great staff uh you know daily coverage of the team um the the one thing i guess i'll, I'll just plug off the top of my head there is um colin cudmore and uh, uh ari maharaj uh do draft coverage for us so uh, good. So in my good. opinion unrivaled uh not just in sense media but you know in the hockey media in general uh, if you're interested in the 2021 draft, which you should be if you're not a Senators fan. <laughs> uh, you know, be sure to check it out. They had a really great piece uh this morning. That's really great. Uh if you're on Twitter, I'm uh, at NKB121, uh random series of letters and numbers, uh, except I've been on Twitter for a very long time and I would probably change it. But uh, you know, check us out. Always happy to talk sense uh hockey. and Yeah, thanks again for having me on.
0: Yeah, anytime. And yeah, hope to hope to have you on again down the road. And for anyone who hasn't read Silver 7 Cents, absolutely uh, recommend going checking out, you know, it's great content on just about every day, you know, game recaps, previews, everything like that. So uh, yeah, stay safe, and we'll talk to you later.